This episode is brought to you by Belulu Studios, a small event space located in Savannah, Georgia at 3131 Bull Street. For more information, please go to belulustudios.com. That's B-U-L-U-L-U studios.com. Hello, this is Kevin. Thank you for listening to The 10 Frame. This episode is a conversation that I had with Dallas Jackson, an artist who was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida. Dallas has a long list of achievements, including an MFA in painting and also a doctorate of education. His work typically documents historic events from African-American communities with the use of oil and acrylic paint. His work can be viewed on Instagram at DalCoopJack. If you'd like to see some of my own work, please follow me on Instagram at KevinWillPaint. You can also find Kelly on Instagram at KellyKThompsonArt. Dallas, thank you very much for taking some time to talk with me um, this morning. It's really good to meet with you, and um, I look forward to learning more about your work. My pleasure. Um, so right off the bat, can you just tell everybody where they can find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram at Dallas. Coop Jack, that's D-A-L-L-C-O-O-P-J-A-C-K. Also have a Wix website. It's um, dalcoopjack.wixsite.com forward slash artist studio. Okay. I met you through SCAD, and I know of you as a painter, but could you just tell the audience maybe a little bit about what you make and maybe why, why you make it? Okay, my work is historical narrative um, collages and paintings and the focus of my work is to document the period of time from the Emancipation Proclamation to pre-civil rights then I also have an additional interest in our contemporary times that focused on the economic um, strata within society today that impacts um, housing and opportunity for, for young people today. And you, most of your work is, is painting. It looks like it. we're sitting in your studio and looking at a couple of your larger pieces. And it looks like they're, they're collage work um, and maybe acrylic on, on, on paper. Yes. Um, what this is is a photo montage of the um, Tulsa massacre of 1921. And all of the... Um, f- Figures within this um, composition are World War One veterans who settled in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area and started um, establishing a life post-war. And when the massacre happened, they attempted to save Greenwood, Little Africa, or their community. Of what you, we know the result of that. It was not successful. And there were over 300 people that were killed that day, and they destroyed all of the property in the African American community of Greenwood. Greenwood, where's that? In Tulsa? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, right. How did you get uh, drawn to Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre? Um, what What I took a look at was that that period of time. This is post Reconstruction. Um, It was a time in the United States history when they started rolling back a lot of the progress that was made during Reconstruction. 
And there was a tense racial clash that was brewing right below the surface. And in this situation, there was a young man that was accused of raping a white woman who was actually in jail. But what the um, gentlemen in that community, which are also comprised of these veterans, what they attempted to do was to prevent a lynching. So they wanted justice to play its hand through the courts where there was a mob of angry um, residents of Tulsa that assembled down at the jail with the attempts of breaking into the jail and extracting um, the accused out and delivering justice prior to his day in court. <clears throat> and their um, plan was to prevent that from happening. And one thing led to another and then it was an entire town wiped out. So in the images on the actual figures, those are pictures from Greenwood or Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I subtly placed it all throughout their f the figures and in the background of images of the actual burning buildings and what was destroyed during that massacre. I see. And. I think you previous before we started recording, you said that this was one painting that was in a series of maybe ten, yes. ten or so pieces. Can you talk about maybe the whole series? Yes, um, the other series. Um, as I continued to doing research around African American life post Emancipation Proclamation, I had overlooked a large body of photos that were at my disposal ever since I could remember. My mother, who's 87 years old, happens to be an unofficial archivist of our family. And I found all of these pictures of my parents when they were children, my grandparents, great-grandparents. And so what I decided to do was the, a series of works that were more personal narratives of the family history that preceded me. So when... I look at the artists doing research and building a historical context. I had images of my grandmother graduating from college in nice. 1919. That's cool. And she graduated the year after the Spanish flu pandemic. Her older sister graduated that very year of the Spanish flu pandemic. Mm. And as I started investigating these pictures, it was interesting to me that I could not decode visually that a pandemic was going on in the United States. I could not decode the impact of Jim Crow being real right, yeah. in a segregated society. I could not decode the tipping point that led to the civil rights movement in the 50s. I have photos of our family during the early 20th century, and there was nothing visually that I could extract and say they lived in this period of time. So this work, you know, some of it has a very somber uh, meaning and, and uh, depiction, and others kind of shows the resiliency of a people mm -hmm. despite what was going on in the nation. Right, yeah. So there's 
10 pieces in the, in this collection of work or this body of work that you're making, right? Is that what I'm understanding? That's my goal is to do 10 uh -huh. um, for a series of events that I'm anticipating in 2024. So, um, but it's going to be much more than that. It's yeah. probably going to be 20, 25 works. Um, I did my thesis exhibition in March and I had 41 works of art in that. Nice. And then I did the um, Poetic Justice um, group exhibition of which I had a gallery space to myself and that was another 29 works. Mm -hmm. And in October, I did the uh, Extirpation, Color Class and Currency at the Warehouse Art District here in St. Petersburg. And that was another 28, 29 works that I showed um, back in October. So Dallas just handed me a... A book that it looks like you you made it right. It's yes, published. Yes, it's a published book of the exhibition at the Warehouse Art District Art Exchange, which is right around the corner from the factory in Saint in Petersburg. Saint Pete, right. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. And oh. so, as I create works and do exhibitions, I'm trying to do a better job of documenting the exhibitions because as I explore through historical context, I see that many, several people just, you know, take photos and they compile them, but they do not catalog and, and memorialize for someone to find later on in history. That might be a, an object of uh, future research 100 years from now. Yeah. So I'm just trying to do a better job leaving breadcrumbs for future researchers <laughs> yeah. so I don't have to try to decode, so they won't have to try to decode as I've had to do, even with my own personal family photos. And fortunate, I'm fortunate enough to have my mother still alive with me, and she's 87, yeah. and she's able to you know, tell me, oh, that was 1952. Mm -hmm. It was 1948. It was 61. Know, and you can get some of her recollection of what... What was surrounding those photographs? Absolutely. I'm interested. So I know history is important in your work. And can you talk a little bit about your own history? I believe you grew up in St. Pete. But can you just talk a little bit about maybe your time in St. Pete growing up and, I don't know, family life or wherever you want to take that from? Yes, I was born in July 1968 right here in St. Petersburg at um, the hospital downtown known today as Bayfront. It was Mounds Park Hospital then. I was born to a teacher and my father with a law degree. He worked for the um, state of Florida. It was previously the county and then they, they, they merged. I'm the youngest of five siblings, of five children of their, of their union. <clears throat> We're all um, either educators or architects or accountant or my sister worked for the, another sister worked for the state for an entire career. So we were all public servants. Both of my parents worked in the public sector, and so did we. Nice. And see, um, what actually brought my family to St. Petersburg, my father was born in Tampa. And my parents, when they got married, they relocated back here to Tampa. But the gentleman on the right is attorney Harold Andrew Jackson. He was retained by the Black Citizens Cooperative here in St. Petersburg because if you have not been to downtown St. Petersburg, we have a pier. Mm -hmm. And at the, on the left side of the pier was a place called Spa Beach. And it's still there to this day. But African Americans could not use 
Spa Beach. Right. He successfully sued with his law partner on the left, um, Rodriguez. They successfully sued the city, forcing the city to integrate the Spa Beach. And that was in 1954. And that he started working on that case in probably 1953. Mm -hmm. And just to put things on the historical timeline, the only time we really hear about any African-American lawyers being successful using the 14th Amendment was the Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. And it was Thurgood Marshall that represents, represented the NAACP National Defense Fund. And it wasn't until I met with my cousin in 2017, his son, Harold Jr., who explained to me that you know, the, the entire story and the scenario around what happened a decade and four years before I was born, um, that type of history was just buried in time. It was like, it was, it was something that was just done like it was another day at work. Right. And um, so when I found out about it, I was compelled to actually do this painting to kind of memorialize that um, point in time in history. I have all type of news clippings and photos um, of the um, major event. I mean, right. that changed St. Petersburg. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, that that's what brought my father to St. Petersburg because when he finished law school, he came over to St. Petersburg to, man, to help his brother with his practice from Tampa that expanded to St. Pete. Wow. And of course, um, you know, my, um, f my father did not stay in the practice because my uncle abruptly died, mm. passed away um, in the early 60s. And so he went and worked in government and just um, vacated that whole idea of, of practicing. Wow. But it was just that moment in time. <clears throat> I mean, this, this young African-American lawyer um, graduated from law school in 1951 and he was taking on a major desegregation case, right. yeah. not even three years out of law school. And so... And he won. Yeah. So that type of narrative, you know, it just got lost in the lack of documenting and creating these historical documents. So that was one of the, uh, one of the many things that actually inspired me to look at these historical accounts and reimagine them much like Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I plan to go to next summer with my uh, research group through the University of South Florida. Okay. So we're going there, and I'll have an opportunity to stand on that hollow ground, and actually a lot of the imagery and things of that nature are no longer there. But you'll but, get to feel the energy from that space. Yes. That's it's, pretty awesome. Yeah. So I know, Dallas, I know that you have a lot of the work that you're doing is focused on um, the African-American history and shining a light onto maybe less known or maybe popular um, historical data. Can you just talk about maybe the underpinning that, that got you to the focus of this narrative or this as a narrative? Well, I have to blame it all on the matriculation through the MFA program at Savannah College of Art and Design. Okay. The, you know, as a, as a graduate student in fine arts, you're not learning how to, to be an art maker. You can't even get started in the business of doing an MFA, not unless you're already an art maker. 
an art, practicing some form of art. Right. What was great in that experience, it forced me to start thinking about what is the why behind my work. Prior to SCAD, I could say at Southern, I learned about African-American history in a different context. And that carried itself through my work for years. I mean, I went through series where I did landscapes and I did, you know, a little bit of surrealism. And I, you know, I just kind of bounced around trying to find my way. Well, when I started the MFA program, I was asked to create in one of the classes, one narrative painting that we exclusively worked on for the entire course. During that time, the George Floyd incident happened. Okay. And I was focused on investigating poverty, looking at homelessness, and just looking at what is, what, what's the antecedent behind the conditions that we see. And then when the George Floyd incident happened, that, that created a new awakening to what, look at the historical context. And so from that, these works started to evolve. It shifted from, you know, looking at just social justice. Social justice does not have purpose or intent not if you do not have the historical foundation. Right. And so I've just doubled down and started really working on understanding the historical context. Right. That has taken me to the National African American Museum, um, Museum of History in Washington, D.C. That's taken me to the Civil Rights Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee. Right. Um, it's taken me to Tulsa next summer. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, and I have other points of interest. So that has become my research focus and specialty just by virtue of being in grad school and having had that incident happen, the George Floyd incident happen while I was pondering what are, what am I going to really zoom in, zero in on yeah. as far as working on a body of work while I matriculate through the MFA program. You have a lot of fuel to, to use a lot of, um, I mean, cause you're using historical content and maybe yeah. applying it to current day issues. Um, there's a lot of energy that you can pull from or uh, good good things to pull from. And now, you know, in the state of Florida, there's a lot of controversy around the revision of African-American history. So what's um, really brought my ex exhibitions of 2023 to the foreground is that when people will come to the exhibitions, they will see the historical context and then they see what's going on in the political arena and they're like, this is timely. You need to keep doing this. So that gives me some, you know, external motivation to keep right. going because the the feedback I've received about taking on building a historical context through a visual collection of work. So so that the time the timing is everything with it. It might be maybe I'm putting too much I don't think that I am I think it's a responsibility of you as an artist at some point um, I think a lot of artists are searching for their language and their what they want to pull from but it's so dear to you from what little I know about you I know definitely that's very important to you so, you know I think that's it is your responsibility yes. you know it's it's a it's a great it's a good a good thing to have I think 
Yes, and you know, also in the MFA program, I, you know, I'm taking bits and pieces from established artists. Like you look at Najika Crosby and how she used photography to kind of tell her narrative of her family. That's one strand. And you have Carrie James Marshall who uses, you know, the African-American figuration to kind of tell a story about just the existence of African-Americans in tumultuous times. Hmm. Then you see Henry Taylor who takes his own interpretation and all of these artists, bits and pieces of them, even a little bit of Kehinde Wiley and his thinking behind the African-American figuration or the black figuration as a central focus. All of these things were developed as I matriculated through the various um, phases of graduate study in fine arts. Yeah. You're currently working with, you use many layers, it seems. Are you exploring this language of making art are you comfortable with it now? Are you looking to other ways of expressing yourself? Well, it, this form of expression comes and goes through the creative process. Um, I did a series of works back in 2016 where I used the same process, and then and then I, I dispensed with it. I stopped making um, photograph-based collages with painting overlays for a number of years, and here we are in 2023, and I've started returning back to it because I've had more content through research and through discovery to now make the work. I did um, uh, maybe five to seven works back, I would say, between 2016 and 2019 that were collage-based, larger scale like these works that kind of ran along the same type of methodology but then I went to just, uh, you know, painting, doing oils and acrylics and doing a different type of narrative painting. Then or I sculpture, too. You also enjoy doing that? Yes, sculpture as well um, from, you know, reduction method with wood or doing um, you know, clay and casting to doing welding. Right. Yeah, because my undergraduate um, was more of a, you know, a broad sweep and exposure to all mediums. I, yeah. Just like in my thesis exhibition, I had printmaking and I had, um, of course, oil paintings and I had watercolors and I had collages. I worked across the mediums. And even right now, working with this series, I've shifted gears and I am working on a large-scale watercolor right now. And, um, of course, it's a historical narrative as well, but, um, yeah, I do. I, I will work across the medium. Nice. And my goal is to when you see them you see the same spirit of the work although it's totally different techniques Got it, yeah. being employed yeah i can definitely see the common i can see your handwork and and all the mediums it's your definite language we always on the 10 frame we always ask uh, what does your studio sound like what is the ambient noise when you're making work well um I'm I'm here with three children mm-hmm. who are two are in Florida Virtual School and one's a freshman at um Florida International University so yeah and they all play instruments from ukuleles to bass guitar to lead guitar to drums to the piano and I see an cello upright, yeah I see a cello over there yeah so um 
I put on headphones and I listen to music. What is that music then? What? Oh, I I um, love listening to Johann Sebastian Bach's uh, Six Suites nice. uh, for the unaccompanied cello. Uh-huh. And um, what I really love about that is, you know, the six movements, it takes you through somber moments to celebratory moments. And what I discovered in there is that each of the six suites had one piece called the Saraban and and Yo-Yo Ma did a great job explaining the Saraban which grew out of the arrival of slaves in Spain wow. and the way they expressed themselves artistically through dance and how it became a major controversy because they were gyrating hips and moving in what was considered to be a sexual or vulgar manner mm. and it was banned until the French got a hold of it and you know the French are a romantic <laughs> group of people. They uh, they, they applied it. ballet, and all of a sudden, when they put their spin on it, the Cerebon became popular all over the globe. So mm. much as Handel, Bach, and several other artists composed um, music songs, and they actually named them the Cerebon. And they almost have the sound of African music mm. with the flats and the sharps pressed up against each other yeah. in in the scoring. I don't know how to articulate I'm the artist not I mean I've actually even learned a little bit of, of one of the Cerebons because I was like I just can't paint it and just listen to it. I have to engage it a little. So I started picking up and playing the cello oh, just wow. so I can better articulate from a from an experiential standpoint. So hopefully it had some impact on my painting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that you played the cello, that you're ex- interested in that. That's, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, people, you know, they, they, um, they sing in the shower. I play this cello in my home and studio. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I won't go and play Carnegie Hall uh, yeah. any place publicly. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, the 10 Frame is a, a podcast for emerging artists. So we always like to ask if you have any words of advice or um, could you share a little bit of wisdom about what you're doing and how maybe it'll influence uh, other emerging artists? Yes, uh, emerging artists need to really build the why behind their work. Um, I curated and participated in a group exhibition called Intentional Tension at the Warehouse Art District in August of 2022 right here in St. Petersburg. And I picked professional artists and I picked novice and i wanted them i wanted us all to show together i spit somewhere in that continuum but i wanted us all to show together to take away the idea that you know you have to be accomplished you have to have ribbons and awards to actually be in the gallery space and showing and what i found about uh, emerging artists is they create the work and they could not articulate what what's the why behind the work so that's part of the reason why i wanted to work with closely the artists to help them build an understanding of why they do their work they know why they do it it's just that graduate school made me articulate and think deeply about why i do the work that i do undergraduate we did a little bit of that it was more Let's get you exposed to all of these items. Let's get you very competent in understanding historical artistic movements. And then you're out the door. Right. 
but graduate school is a whole different ball game. You can't start without those foundations already being established. So what we spend our time with in advanced level is articulation, understanding. And then, of course, pushing your – when you have your idea and your concept, now moving it to different mediums. Can you articulate your your interest in this medium or the next medium? And that's more advanced because that takes writing and thinking and research and exploring – but what I found out about emerging artists and what I encourage them to do is really focus on the why. If you do nothing but record why you're doing work while you're working on it, you got to build that understanding because if you get that chance to show, they're going to stick a microphone in your hand and say, get up on the stage and tell us about your artwork. Yeah. And that's, that's the where, truth. And that's where it begins. I mean, when you stand up that few seconds you have for the people who show up to your exhibition, that's the only time you have to tell your story. And if you tell it well, you get traction. Yeah. If not, you go back into the novice group, and you may get an opportunity in the future, but you very seldom have those opportunities to meet, talk, share, and articulate what you do. And that's that's what uh, I suggest emerging artists do. If they're working in, in, in solitude like most artists do, you got to come up with some apparatus or some way of documenting how they got this tangible object in front of them. Right. Yeah. That's well said. I know that community is important to you, um, family and community, and maybe creating a network. Can you talk a little bit about what yours is and maybe how you got there and maybe where you want it to go? Um. Yes. Well... Prior to deciding to do the MFA, I was very isolated. I worked alone. I did shows. I did some brief artist statement. Then I would go back into non-existence. I did six solo exhibitions at a museum and had really no community network. Even right here in in St. Petersburg, we have all of these art community spaces that have in these communities that have popped up. But um, I've never messed in with them because I've been around long before them. I mean, I've been back in St. Petersburg since 1992. So these, a lot of these places just opened up in 2015, 17, 18, years after. Um, I, you know, I, had, I was in the art community with some local artists here in, in 1998. When I bought this house, I decided I'm going to move my studio home because I was renting an apartment and I was renting a studio. Mm-hmm. But in grad school, going back to grad school, and I just want to say, this was 20 years after I earned my doctorate. Yeah. <laughs> so I do have a you know, a doctorate in education, and I have a master's in curriculum. I, I have other, other educational completions. Right. But I wanted to come back and do the MFA, and it opened up, although it was remote and distant, and during the, during the pandemic we were all online, I built networks with people in Argentina, in China, um, all over the United States. Right. And thank goodness, the reason why when you asked me how can I be found, I put Instagram first is because my most um, important contact and connection has been with other people trying to figure it out like me that's on kind of on the same accord. And it's been through our courses, which open and close. So if, if I, Kevin, you and I were in a class together, I had no other way of communicating with you right. when that cl- course was done and, the, and we no longer had access to the dialogue boxes and discussion. Instagram 
kept me connected with you. Absolutely. And yeah. so I, my uh, networks of, of people, just like I was on the train coming back from Miami yesterday, and I reached out to Nikki Rikoff, uh, 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 an artist over in the Jacksonville area, and I said, we need to have a, a SCAD meetup because quite a few of us in Florida that lives all that live all over the state. We could all meet in Orlando, take the train, and go down to Miami and just kind of do what I did yesterday. But give us an opportunity to create that community. Then we're not next door. I can't walk across the street and right. have a conversation with her. But um, the networks, just like you know, you hit me on Instagram. I'm you know still emerging when it comes to it because that's, that's what it, it is. That's it, okay. It took me a, it took me a couple of days to actually see that I had a message from from you <laughs> and to reply, and I didn't think yeah. you were going to reply back so fast. And I put my phone number in because I'm old. I'm a little dated so no, i'm like okay. hey just call me yeah and so here you are sitting here in my artist slash living room slash home yeah and we're having this discussion this is the that that idea network i have one patron of arts major art collector here nice um, um his name is um james jim sweeney uh-huh. um he's purchased quite a few works of mine just this year and last year and the year before for the permanent collection for the African-American Museum. Nice. That's great. But, um, for example, the Museum of Fine Arts has the Kehinde Wiley, has a Kehinde Wiley mm-hmm. um, um, there. He helped that museum acquire that. He brought um, a, a young artist who just finished her MFA, Jill Swabe. Yeah. He brought her down and sponsored her exhibition at the Museum of Fine Arts. And it's people like that that are so far few between that, that you know. It that keeps you going. It right? keeps you going, just like the Rebel collection. It's when you have patrons of the arts that you know purchase from artists and support artists. I have one. Yeah. <laughs> um, right now, so I don't really have many, but that's okay. But but um, they are important because it, it keeps me motivated. Keeps me engage he, you know he he brought um um several artists here to the museum of fine arts and he's invited me to come to their openings and exhibitions i had the opportunity to meet jill swabby um lonnie holly who is a, a sculptor who from alabama i had a chance to meet him and go to yeah. his artist talk and they're doing a big exhibition of his work this summer here in st petersburg at the museum of fine arts and he coins himself as a musician and an artist he just got back from europe mm-hmm. he, we had, he had a very interesting artist talk but it's that patron that exposed me to other people that way gotcha. and also supports the arts and you know that's important to me because um of course my family is a big support but yeah. um they typically get the artwork for free because <laughs> <laughs> they live in the house with me that's funny yeah well some some of my takeaways of what I appreciate about you is your commitment to your family and your community and, and to education and keeping a historical story or a narrative alive and finding ways to do that um, creatively. I think I, I respect all those things. And, and the amount of work that you produce, too. It's exciting to see your career grow and... Um, Thank you. you. Yeah, thank you very much for the time, and I appreciate you. Okay, thank you very much. I look forward to us hanging out and doing some things together. Sounds great. (laughs) Best of luck.